And Jesus is all of these unified in their fullest in him. But we've been looking at them each individually. And there's some that we connect with more so than others. Some of us might understand and experience Jesus as savior, um, but we might struggle looking at Jesus as friend. Um, others of us might have a, a great connection with Jesus as teacher, but we might struggle with Jesus as Lord for whatever reason. Maybe it's just a lack of understanding. We can't wrap our minds around things. Maybe it's because of experiences in our life that we've had. We ready to go? Awesome. So Jesus, God, our Savior, Lord, friend, and teacher. And it is quite possible for us to know Jesus as each one of these to some degree or another, but to not walk with him in those places. We might read about Jesus in scripture and we understand an aspect of him, but we don't actually walk in relationship in that aspect uh, with him. So let me explain. So you may know Jesus as Savior. You might know him as the one who rescues you from your sin, that through his death and resurrection, you have life. But you may fail to take up your cross and endure suffering as you follow him. You may know Jesus as Lord, the one who can take the chaos of your life and bring it under some kind of control. But then at the same time, we don't take the power and authority that, the, that Jesus gives to us in the next circumstance of chaos and use that to bring that chaos under control. We just don't see that power and authority that Jesus has given us flowing through our life. Um, you may know Jesus as friend. Um, you may call out to him in times of need. You may feel and receive his companionship. But you may ignore his overtures of intimacy when your life is good. You may know Jesus as teacher. You love sitting at his feet. You love reading his word. You love taking in what he's teaching you through his word. But then when it comes to making that teaching alive in the world around you, you may not walk in that. So there's ways that we all move and flow and connect and disconnect with these aspects of who Jesus is and who scripture talks about that Jesus is. Um, We want some of Jesus, but oftentimes we'd prefer to pick and choose which aspects of Jesus that we want, even given particular situations going on in our life at that time. We may not want uh, Jesus' friend when we know that we're struggling to be a good friend because that confronts us right where we are. We may um, not want Jesus to be savior because we're in a relationship where we don't feel like somebody else is deserving of something that Jesus would freely give them. And so we disconnect at that point in time. Today, as we continue this journey and looking at these four aspects of Jesus' person, um, we're gonna look deeper, more deeply at Jesus' teacher. So Justin introduced us to Jesus as teacher last week. We're going to continue in that a little bit deeper this morning. The thing about being around a teacher, any kind of teacher, is that uh, we're supposed to be changed by what they're teaching. So you're supposed to be changed today 
by what I teach, okay? So there's somewhat of a responsibility on me in the position that God has put me on before you today, but there's also a responsibility on you. Like, what's the point of receiving teaching if it doesn't move us to something, if it doesn't change us in some way? So the point of being around a teacher and receiving teaching is to listen to what's being taught and then to have our beliefs challenged and changed so they're in line with who God is. And then when our beliefs are changed to be in line with God, then we do things as a result of that. Our actions change as a result of our beliefs changing. So teaching and receiving teaching leads to changed beliefs, which leads to changed actions in our life. John taught us this morning on organ donation. Virginia taught us this morning on organ donation. If organ donation scares you, you should consider asking them more questions. But you should be moved to something in what they taught. You can't just sit there and go, well, that's nice. That's, I'm glad there's people who do that. John, I'm so happy John does that work. And Virginia, what a testimony. Like, that's all good. But if that doesn't move us to something, to believe something new, to then act in a new way, in a way that God would want us to act, then, then why do we receive teaching? It's a good question. So a few stories about uh, me uh, being a learner from different teachers in my life. So about 14 years ago, I started a new job um, at a ministry here in Lebanon. And it was my first day on the job. And the employees there, my new coworkers, took me out for lunch. And they bought me lunch at a sub place in Lebanon that doesn't exist anymore. We got back to the office. And I tried to pay back the guy who bought my lunch. And he looked at me and very sternly said, man, you got to learn how to receive. Yeah, it was a hard word because he was not, he was like delivering it to me. It was simple. I was just trying to give him a $5 bill. But he said, man, you got to learn how to receive. And I went, oh, okay. First, first day on the job, you know, because he was right. I, I did need to learn how to receive because I didn't want to be in debt to him. And there's a lot of us that we don't like to receive. We love to give. We might love the feeling of giving to somebody. We like that position of giving, of being the one who gives and we're blessing somebody. But being the one who's blessed, that's hard. We need to learn that lesson. We need to learn how to receive. We need to learn to be generous givers too. But we need to learn how to receive. I learned how to receive that day. I think of that all the time. When people come to me and try to give me something, and I hesitate because I, I don't want to be on the hook for their generosity. You know what I mean? And I hear that voice of that person saying, man, you got to learn how to receive. And I receive it. And I receive it as a blessing. And it's a blessing for me and it's a blessing for them. Do I do it all the time? No. It's a hard lesson to learn. When I was in a seminary, 
this guy came to speak at our uh, a three-day missions conference. His name was Ray Bakke. And Ray Bakke was a guy who, like, grew up, um, I don't know, I kind of think he grew up in a rural area, kind of a farming community. I forget where. Um, Iowa seems to stick in my mind. But God called Ray to, um, to the inner city. And he spoke for three days about how God called him and the work that he's been doing in the city for now. At that point, it would have been decades. And he had written books, and he was kind of this scholar on the inner city. And he came, and for three days, I was just enthralled with his teaching. And I knew from day one, like, God was getting a hold of my heart about the city. And I couldn't shake it. And I knew, like, I knew, like, I couldn't just not do anything about this. That God was trying to change my life. And so I listened to that teaching, and from that point, I was like, okay, God, you're calling me to the city. And so I didn't grow up in the city. I grew up in a neighborhood called the Outdoor Country Club Estates. That's true. Not exactly the city. Um, I didn't want to be in the city. I'd all, in fact, when I started at seminary, my advisor said, what, what area of ministry do you want to go into? And I said, I don't know, maybe suburban ministry. And we, we could choose these geographic kind of centers. Campus ministry, maybe chaplaincy. And I said to him, and I remembered, I said, but I know for sure. I do not want to do anything in the city. And he went, okay. And then a year later, boom, God speaks, right? Through this teacher. God taught me through this teacher. And my life was changed. Like where I live was changed from that day. Where my kids go to school, even though they weren't born yet, was changed. How I spend my money was changed. Like it changed everything in my life from where I thought I was going. Everything changed. Everything changed. And I'm glad. But it was a hard word to hear. It was hard to change that. But it was the Lord and I knew it. When I'm driving, I can get kind of worked up. I have conversations with other drivers. They, they don't know that I'm having conversations with them. Does anybody else can relate? Okay, thanks for your honesty. I appreciate that. Um, my wonderful daughter will often let me know that my behavior is unnecessary, unproductive, and perhaps dangerous. And I'm humbled, or you can read humiliated in parentheses, by her teaching me those things. And, and I feel that. I feel her teaching. And, it, and, it, and I'm like, oh, she's right. And I'm like, and I, and I promise to do better. And I might even promise her that I'll try to do better. And I promise myself that I'm going to do better. But I mean, you know, four blocks later, the reality of my inability to receive her teaching sets in. It hasn't changed me like Ray Bakke's teaching changed me or my coworkers teaching changed me. So why, why is that? I, I don't know. I don't know. It should. I believe the teaching, her teaching is good and it's right and I should be listening to it. I don't know. But I want to, as we look at teaching this morning, I want to look at the concept of authority, the authority of the teacher. So my coworker had been at this place for years, had, had been doing ministry in this place for years and was well-respected among his peers. Um, he had a flourishing program that he oversaw and developed. He was a little bit older than me, had lived a little bit more in life than I had. And so I think there was this, this respect that I had for his authority. 
that I was going to listen to him, that he had a lesson to teach me. Ray Bakke, he had, he had been called out of the corn to the inner city. And, and I felt God was doing the same for me. And, and, he, and he wrote books, right? And he was up there speaking. He was the teacher on the podium with the microphone. He was the one. So he had this authority that I didn't, is that a phone? So, so there was this authority and, 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 I, and I thought, well, if the school that I pay a lot of money to go to is going to pay him and bring him here for three days, then he must have authority. So I listened. Savannah, I love you, honey. But in this relationship, you know, I have the authority, right? I'm the dad. I tell Savannah what to do most of the time. And, and when kids teach us, it's humbling. In fact, scripture says that we're supposed to learn from kids, but it's still hard. There's still this thing about age and position that, uh, that I think plays into me not listening. If Courtney looked at me and said, if you do that again in the car, yeah. And no, she does instruct me, but it's not that strong. I, I don't, she, Courtney says I won't listen to her either in the car. So I don't know. So I don't know. There's something about authority when it comes to listening and receiving teaching. Jesus is addressed as teacher throughout the New Testament, particularly in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus is addressed as teacher. Um, A few things on these passages where he's addressed on teacher. When Jesus is addressed as teacher, he's most often being asked a question. Teacher. And then a question follows. What should I do in this particular situation? And then Jesus goes on to answer another question that's not usually the question that they asked, right? But he's making a point about what they're, what they're seeking. So they address him as teacher, and they're almost always asking a question after they ask him and call him teacher. Um, but in, also in most of these cases, the learner, the person coming to Jesus, the one receiving the teaching, doesn't want to be taught, They want their perspective to be validated. They don't really want to know what he has to say. They want to know that what they already think is the right thing. The learner is trying to get validation for what they already believe and therefore what they already do. Okay? Validation for what they believe and therefore how those beliefs affect what they already do. Because nobody really likes to change. We want to do what we do all the time, the way we want to do it. And that's based on what we believe about a situation or about ourselves or about the people around us. And ultimately, in these examples, and we're going to get into those in a second, just a little background on them. In these examples, um, they want to be in a place of authority, the learner rather than receiving and submitting to Jesus's authority. So they, they want to be the ones in the place of authority, right? Because what I believe and what I do is better than what you believe and what you do, and it's better than what Jesus believes and what Jesus does. And it's just a lot easier living that way. If everybody just believed what I believe and did what I did, things would be a lot easier around here, wouldn't they? Except if we all think that, it leads to chaos. So ultimately... The learner wants to be in the place of authority. So they have to figure out how to make that happen. They have to figure out how to kind of take Jesus's authority from him or equate their authority with Jesus's authority. 
if they can do that, then they don't have to believe what he's teaching. And if they don't have to believe what he's teaching, then they don't have to do what that teaching is telling them to do. If somebody comes up to me in Walmart and comments to me about my parenting, I'm most likely not going to receive that because in my mind, they have no authority to come to me and tell me how I'm parenting. They don't know my relationship with my kids. They don't know our dynamic. They don't know what's going on. I know my kids better than, than they do. And so I'm not going to respect their authority, even if they're right. Even if they're actually calling me out rightly. They have no authority in my eyes because I don't know them. And so I'm not going to believe what they're telling me, and I'm not going to do what they're telling me as a result. By addressing Jesus as teacher, these people acknowledge in Scripture that there's a hierarchy. Teacher. They are learner. So they're acknowledging that there's authority in who Jesus is and who they are. Now, the next thing that they do is try to flip that authority or at least equate their authority with Jesus's authority. If I can show the teacher that I'm right and they're wrong, then why should I have to listen to the teacher? They now have no credibility. If you can shift the authority like that in an instant, the student now takes the position of authority or at least an equal position of authority. And then they have a shortcut in life. They now don't have to do the hard thing that they're going to be taught, right? So equating the authority or switching the authority ultimately leads to a shortcut in life. I don't have to do the hard thing. Caleb, I asked Caleb about if I could use this illustration. He said I could. Samantha, sorry, I didn't ask your permission to talk about you earlier. So in my home, I'm the math homework guy. Anybody has problems with their math homework? They come to me. I'm pretty proud of that. It's an intense time of homework doing. If you're going to do math with me, it's going to get serious really quick, right? Yeah, it's going to get serious really quick. Because I don't just want you to get the right answer. I want you to understand the process, the journey with the numbers. It matters. You, you have to understand not just this problem, but any other similar problem. that You, can, you don't just plug numbers and you have to understand what's going on. I, I have self-declared myself a better math teacher than any of the math teachers that any of my kids have had because I think they're just not teaching them well enough. So Caleb and I had been working on this certain concept during the week last week and, um, and then he later in the week was working on that math himself. And uh, so he was plugging away at the dining room table and I was in the kitchen and he, and he came in and said, Dad, hey, um, just look at this real quick. Am I reading this graph right? And, you know, I just, th- this seems really easy, but I just wanted to confirm with you that this is, you know, I'm, I'm looking at this right. And I'm like, yeah, you're looking at the graph right, but the problem is still asking you to show the work. I realize you can tell me the answer. It's real simple. It's right there. It's on the graph. It's on the chart. But, but you still need to journey with the numbers and show me how you get to that answer that the graph is already showing. Well, d- Dad, it's right there. I mean, it's, it's, it's right there. I know that. And I was like, I, I don't care. And I, then I went into this big thing about, like, you obviously came to me because you wanted me just to validate your shortcut 
to this problem. And I'm telling you, that is not acceptable. I want you to do your work. And then you can see that your work matches up with the graph. And I understand it's simple. Do it. There's a reason you came to me, because I am the teacher. I am the one in authority, and I want you to learn. He was thrilled, as you can imagine. He was thrilled. I don't even know what he did. He walked away. Did you do the problem how I told you? No. What? You don't know. You don't remember. Okay. Yeah. But if he could get the teacher on his side, like, yeah, all you got to do is like, yeah, buddy, take that shortcut, man. That's all you got to do. But the teacher did not allow it. So he was looking to equate his knowledge with mine, his authority with my authority. But I would have none of it. At least I thought so. I don't know how that goes as a parent. So I want to look at some examples in scripture. So uh, first is Mark chapter 4. So if you want to flip to Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 35. And this is, if you're familiar with the Bible, you've heard this story. It's a familiar story. Mark 4, verse 35. And this is the story of Jesus calming the storm. So I'm not going to read the passage, but basically Jesus had been teaching. Then he wants to get into a boat with his disciples and cross this lake. And they get into this boat and Jesus is in the boat with his disciples And this storm whips up and there's waves and there's wind and the boat is getting tossed all over the place. So much so that the disciples, they think they're going to die. And Jesus is sleeping. And they acknowledge his authority and power. They know who he is. They've heard him teach. They've seen him do miracles, right? So they come to Jesus, which is really interesting in this moment. And they say, teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? Do you hear the authority shift that they're trying to make? Oh, Jesus, we thought you were the kind of person who cared about people's lives, but apparently you're not because we're about to die. You can laugh. Don't be scared there. Sorry. So they come in this, in this kind of this manipulative way as if to say to Jesus, like, oh, you must not be the kind of caring person that you make yourself out to be because we're about ready to lose our lives. So Jesus wakes up and he rebukes the wind and the waves. It stops. The boat calms down. He says, silence to the waves. He says, be still to the waves. And then the wind stopped and the waves stopped and it was calm. So then he kind of clears the deck and he looks at the disciples and he says, "Uh, why are you afraid? Well, duh, Jesus. They thought they were going to die the wind and the wave and the boat and it was going to break apart and they were going to drown and who's not, who wouldn't be afraid there? But he says, why are you afraid? And then he says, do you still have no faith? The disciples just wanted the quick response. They were shifting the authority by questioning who Jesus was and who he had postured himself to be up to that point. Oh, are you not a caring one, teacher? All they wanted was the wind and waves to stop. They wanted a quick fix. And Jesus wanted so much more for them. He wanted them to have faith. He wanted them to to believe that because they were in his presence and because they walked with him and had received his teaching before they got on that boat, that even though that things were crazy and chaos was around them and the boat was going to go berserk and break apart and they were going to drown, that they could have faith. But they didn't. 
And that's what Jesus cared about, that they had faith. They couldn't turn and flip the authority. And Jesus came back at them and said, I don't care about the wind and the waves and you thinking you're going to die or not die. I want you to walk in faith. And then they are terrified and they say, who is this man? They know who he is. Well, it seems that they should know who he is. Even the wind and the waves obey him. No shortcut for them. Shortcut, stop the wind and waves and we're good. No, that's too easy. Walk in faith. That's hard. Mark 12, verse 13. So flip a few pages to your right and go to Mark 12, verse 13. So this is about the, uh, the Pharisees, a group of Pharisees come to Jesus along with a group of Herodians or people who supported King Herod. These groups of people, the question that they ask Jesus, should we pay taxers, taxes to Caesar? Should we give our taxes to the government? And see, this is an interesting question because, see, the Pharisees and the, the followers of Herod would have been different. They would have both wanted different answers to this question. But see, they both hated Jesus. So they thought they combined forces and they asked him a common question. No matter how Jesus answered it, it would stir up all this dissension among the people. If Jesus said, yeah, you should pay taxes to Caesar, then the Pharisees would be like, whoa, wait, what about the temple tax? And what about the temple, the money to the kingdom of God? And shouldn't we be putting money towards, towards that stuff? And then it would incite all kinds of uh, rebellion among the people. And, if, and if, uh, if God says, no, you don't have to pay it to Caesar, then the people who followed Herod were like, whoa, hey, wait a minute. You know, this is, what, this is how the government runs. This is how it works. And there's riots from those people. But they thought, hey, we both hate Jesus enough. Why don't we work together on this one? So that's what they did. So they asked this question. So they, they, they would flip the authority so they didn't have to follow Jesus' teaching. If we can discredit Jesus' teaching and put him in a bind and trap him, then we don't have to follow anything that he says, frankly, because he's not as gifted of a teacher as everybody thinks. He doesn't have as much authority as everybody thinks. In fact, the authority shifts to us. And then we can believe what we want to believe and do what we want to do. And we don't have to listen to this clown over here. So they ask him the question, and Jesus says, give to Caesar what is Caesar, and give to God what is God. He says, whose picture and title are stamped on the coin? Caesar's. Give that to Caesar. He doesn't say this, but this is what he means. Whose picture is stamped on your heart? Then give that to God. They were created in God's image then you give that thing created in God's image to God. That thing that has the world's image on it, give that to the world. That's where it belongs. So Jesus, again, does not allow the authority flip and the shortcut to living for these Herodians and these Pharisees. There's nothing there. There's nothing there. They now have a choice to make. Are they going to be obedient to Jesus? Are they going to be disobedient to Jesus? Um, Luke 18, verse 18. Once a religious leader asked Jesus this question, good teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not commit adultery. You must not murder. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. Honor your father and mother. Now he's speaking to who? A religious leader. And Jesus lists off all these commandments. And the man is like, I'm good. The man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments, not just in the past year, 
not just in the past five years, but I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. So he's like, cool, eternal life, bring it on. I got it covered. I've got the authority because I already do all these things that Jesus is telling me to do anyway. So I'm good. I don't have to submit to him. I already do this stuff. When Jesus heard this answer, he said, there's only one thing you haven't done. Sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And then it says the man heard this and he became very sad for he was very rich. So in his attempt to flip the authority or at least to equate the authority that he had with Jesus, Jesus does not allow it. And he demands more of the man. He he demands deep sacrifice in his life. And we don't know what the man chooses. Our attempts to wrestle authority from Jesus in order to validate a shortcut in our life always fall short. In order to invalidate Jesus' teachings, which are challenging and difficult, if we can somehow figure out a way that our authority is just where his is or even above his, that we have a good reason not to follow what he's teaching, Because Jesus doesn't know the pain that I've experienced. How can I possibly follow that teaching? Jesus doesn't know the resources that I have. How can I possibly follow that teaching? Jesus doesn't understand. He doesn't know me, except he does. Except he does. We often go to the teacher to validate a shortcut in our lives, but there are no shortcuts through the gospel. There are no shortcuts through the gospel. Luke 10, 25. One day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him the question, teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, this is interesting because this expert in the religious law asked the similar question to the one before. It was one about eternal life. The previous passage, there were all these laws. Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't do this, don't do that. And the guy's like, I don't do that, I'm good. And Jesus is like, okay, then go sell everything and give it to the poor. Here, the expert in religious law gives a really good, truthful, spiritual answer. Love God with everything you have and love your neighbor as yourself. And if he just would have shut his mouth and walked away at that point, Jesus might have let him him off the hook, even knowing that his heart wasn't right. But in order to then challenge the teacher, in order to flip the authority, in order just to to validate the shortcut that he wanted to take in life, he asked the follow-up question. Jesus, just checking here just want to make sure we're on the same page. Who exactly is my neighbor? Because I'm pretty sure I know, but just, you know, if you could just, you know, collaborate what I already know to be true, that would be great. So Jesus goes on to answer his question, and he tells this story about um, the good Samaritan. And the Samaritan was this dirty, you know, wrong, following the wrong religion guy who, uh, who stops and helps the, the Jew who got beaten up on the side of the road. And other Jewish religious people walked by and didn't help the guy that got beaten up. But the dirty, disgusting, impure, inbred, wrong religion Samaritan stops. 
and gives everything he has to this guy, his time, his money, his heart, and he cares for this guy on the side of the road. Everything of that day and age, everything about Jews and Samaritans would have said that Samaritan had every right to walk by. Nobody would have expected him to stop, but he did. And Jesus said, that's what it is to be a neighbor. That's what it means to love your neighbor. And then he says to the expert in religious law, Jesus says, now go and do the same. So like the guy was so close to flipping the authority on Jesus. And Jesus just like gently delivers a story that teaches otherwise. Stopping to help the man on the side of the road is not a shortcut. Loving our neighbor, loving your neighbor is never a shortcut, especially one who is like that neighbor that that passage talks about. But that's what Jesus teaches. In these four stories, Jesus was approached and addressed as a teacher with the intent of validating a shortcut in their life. The disciples wanted the wind and waves to stop so they would live. Jesus stopped the wind and waves so they could walk in faith. The Pharisees and the supporters of Herod, they just wanted to destroy Jesus' integrity flat out. And instead, Jesus calls them to a life of devotion to him. The rich young ruler was just wanting to confirm that he was on his way to eternal life because he followed all the rules. And Jesus said, you got to sell everything that you have and give it to the poor if you want eternal life. He calls him to sacrifice. And then in the story of the Good Samaritan, he had all the spiritual answers, the expert in religious law, all the spiritual answers. And Jesus said, it's not enough because I call you to do love, to walk in love. So Jesus has the authority. He has the authority. He changes or attempts to change their beliefs. We don't know what happens in these stories, but he goes right after their belief system so that he would change the way that they believe what they believe and therefore what they do. Jesus calls us through his teaching to walk in faith. He calls us to walk in devotion to him. That's hard. Have you ever thrown God under the bus when you're in a conversation with somebody because you're afraid to stand up for who you are in Christ? I have. My devotion wavered big time. He calls us through his teaching to sacrifice. This is not in a time-efficient type of life. The life of sacrifice, the life of devotion, the life of faith. And he calls us to love the way that he loves through his teaching. And that's hard. Because we got all kinds of reasons not to love certain people. All kinds of reasons. But this is what the teacher teaches And the teacher teaches so that our beliefs are transformed. And he wants to transform our beliefs so that we will do what it is that we're to do as his people. It is when we walk in these things that we truly know the teacher. We truly understand the teacher. 
and we embrace his teaching, which is the gospel. We're going to move to communion right now. And in the book of Luke, Jesus teaches us the importance of the bread and the cup, his body and blood. Yeah, team, you can come on up. As we take communion and we take the bread and we take the juice, we're called to remember his death, the blood being um, pictured in the juice and his broken body being pictured in the bread that we break from the loaf. So we're called to remember this story of brokenness and of death, but also the life that comes out of it. And the teacher who teaches us communion, Jesus, teaches us that we're supposed to walk that same road, that we will walk through death. We will suffer. But like him, there is life. And like communion shows us that there is life. So as you take communion today, I want you to think about that. We are walking into that death. We are remembering that death. And we also suffer in various ways so that we might live. Um, today, Dwayne and Nikki will be serving communion for us over here in this corner. And at Cornerstone, if you're, if you're new and you're a follower of Jesus, we ask you to, to take communion with us. And we just gather around the table and eventually you'll get up there to the front and tear a piece of the bread and dip it in the juice and then take the communion. Um, take the communion and eat that and remember and enter into the story that Jesus has called us to enter into. Um, also, we pray during communion. So Dennis and Elaine will be over here. And um, you can go to Dennis Elaine at any point during communion to receive prayer. And what I want to encourage you to receive prayer for, you can receive prayer for anything. But this morning, what I want to encourage you to receive prayer for is that, um, that you would heed Jesus' teaching, particularly the Good Samaritan teaching this morning. Who is it that Jesus is calling you to love? Who is it that Jesus is asking you to change your beliefs about? Who is it that Jesus is asking you to walk with your hands and your feet and your mouth to, to love, that you just don't want to? And that's a scary place. But that Jesus would have you go there. And if you would ask for prayer from the Brubakers for situations that you might have in your life around that scenario, um, let me pray. God, thank you. Thank you that you are a teacher. Thank you that your authority is, uh, is one that just stands above all authority that we think we are wise and we come to the teacher so that you can validate what we already want validated, what we think is right, which is typically the easier path or the shortcut. God, you have so much more for us. There is no shortcut through your gospel. It, it, it can be hard. It can be difficult. It can be painful. But it is the most beautiful place to walk. Lord, Would you strengthen us this morning as we receive your teaching from the teacher who has the authority so that our beliefs that are skewed, even if they're just off one degree, when we walk 20 miles down that road, we're off really far from the destination where we're supposed to be, Lord. God, we want our beliefs and we desire our beliefs to be in line with what you want, but it is not easy and it is not a shortcut, God. We want to walk the way you want us to walk because we are close to you, Lord, because we believe what you are teaching us. And we want to see that fruit in our life, Lord, where we go, how we go, what we give, how we speak, what we look at. 
we don't look at, what we do, Lord. God, challenge us to receive from you so that we can do what it is that you want us to do, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. The table is open. We can worship together through communion.